What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Wednesday night on November 2nd. That's the sweet sound of Nordeast from Grain Belt. Send me a tweet of your drink of choice. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves' terrible start. Terrible start. And then I'll go on to talk about the trade deadline, talk about the TJ Hawkinson edition and what it will mean for the Vikings. I'll kind of preview the upcoming matchup against the... Wow, I'm blanking. I don't even. I can't even remember. I have the predictions down here. The Commanders. I'll have a preview of the Washington Commanders. And then to cap things off, I'll talk about the Minnesota Twins and their starting pitching group and what we can expect in 2023. So, let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528. Or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com. And tell him Andrew sent you. All right, let's begin things talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Kind of like what I've been saying with the Minnesota Twins. I know this is not fun to talk about, but let's talk about them. The Wolves are just, they're just not fun to watch. It's been really painful. And in the past, when they've been really bad, you can always just be like, well, I'm watching their number three pick, their number one pick, their number whatever. It was fun to watch the prospect. It was fun to watch the young guys grow and see their lottery pick play. Last year, it was fun because they had a lot of energy. They played with a lot of flair. And this season, they play with absolutely zero effort, zero care. And it's just very clunky. Still super sloppy, and it's going to it's going to correct itself over time. I have belief that this team will be good in the long run, but right now, it is really frustrating to watch. You would think that with playing two big men, that they could easily just punish the other team for playing small. The other team is punishing you for playing too big, so why can't you do the same thing? If you're playing bigger then that means you're able to score easier inside. And that has not been the case. Rudy Gobert has shown zero post work. And Carl Anthony Towns has improved offensively. He looks better. He looks like his old self again. But he doesn't have that same strength and weight as he did last year. And that'll hopefully pick up as we go along. But it is something to talk about. They're not, they're not abusing the matchup. And the other part of it is they just have zero effort. The ball's not moving. They're playing a lot of hero ball. I don't even know if they're running plays. I'd have to really dial in to watch and see if that's what they're doing. Even the pick and roll does not look good. The pick and roll is very... I don't even know how to describe it. It, it It's like when they call a pick and roll, there's no, like... 
spacing it in a sense. Like there is almost just like three or four guys just like in the lane. When that shouldn't be the case when you have Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns. Like spread out. And defensively, it's frustrating to watch because they don't guard the three. And last night they got punished at the mid-range. And Cam Johnson, who didn't miss a freaking shot. You could say the same thing about Doug McDermott. It's like these guys that would not normally get that many shots up, get that many shots up because they're wide open. But the other thing is, like, a guy could be dead last in shooting and play the Timberwolves and all of a sudden become a good three-point shooter. Every time a player shoots, it's going in every time almost. It's wild to think about. Even like, yes, like this is the NBA. They're going to knock down wide open shots. But if Rudy Gobert was on the other side, he'd probably shoot 40% from three. It's incredible. Enough with that rant. I'm just going to kind of dive into some of my notes. That was kind of the little game talk that I had. If you want to actually like listen to an in-depth conversation about the Timberwolves game in general, I went on Suns Geek youtube so go check that out at suns geek on youtube you can find them there we did a live talk about the minnesota timberwolves phoenix suns game where we broke down what happened talked about the team stats the player stats and what we saw immediately after the game it was a good conversation so go check them out go follow them i'm going to pull up his twitter account i'm going to find that as i kind of talk here let me see yeah, it's, it's literally, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's literally just at Suns Geek. So go follow him. Really good follow. He's really fun to talk to. Really nice guy. Moving on. Let's talk about the starting five. The starting five has been really bad. Like, it's been abysmal. They're starting five this season. 73.7 offensive rating. 74.8 defensive rating. That's a negative 1.1. That's 22nd in the NBA. Now, if you're comparing that to the bench, they have a 53.8, a 50.2, and a net rating of 3.7, which is fifth in the NBA. Now, the scoring on on the bench has not been good. However, they're playing with a lot more hustle, a lot more grit. Defensively, they look a little better. Offensively, things are running a lot more smoothly. And it's not so clunky. It's not so sloppy where it when you're watching the starting five, everything is just like not clicking. And that's why the bench is having success because it's not the scoring. The bench ranks 19th in the NBA in, in points per game at 32. And most of that is Jalen Noel and they can't rely on him solely. And we saw that in that Spurs game where what do you have like a couple points? Like you've made like one of eight. So it's frustrating in that sense, and it should get better if they continue to play Nas Reed, which they should, because Nas Reed has been their most consistent player this season. Not their best player, because Rudy Gobert was incredible game one. Anthony Edwards has dropped a couple 30-point nights. Carl Anthony Towns has had almost a triple-double in some nights. Nas Reed has consistently come in and played great basketball in limited minutes. He's been their most consistent player when he plays. Three-point shooting. The Timberwolves are shooting 33.1%, which ranks 23rd in the NBA. As, I said, as I've been saying over and over, that should get better with time. But it's not; it has not been the case so far. Just off the top of my head, I feel like the only game they actually shot like an efficient 
amount is that one win over the Spurs. And even that game, they gave up just a ton of threes as well. They have the shooters to get it done. They have the players to become an efficient shooting team. You've Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, Torian Prince, Jordan McLaughlin can hit one one out of three or two out of three when he shoots. Nas Reed, you have Bryn Forbes, you have Austin Rivers, you have a bunch of different guys you can throw in there who can hit who can hit threes. And it, it might not be the same as last year when you had Patrick Beverly, you had Malik Beasley, etc. Like all these different players. But that doesn't matter. You're in the NBA. It's time to hit your three-point shots, especially when they're open. And the reason they also the percentage has not been good is because the offense has been so sloppy. Nothing has been easy. So when they're shooting those three-point shots, more often than not, it's being contested. Their three-point defense, they rank 19th in the NBA in their percentage at 35.2. They're giving up 40.1 attempts per game, which is 29th in the NBA. Now, if you're giving up 40.1, you're allowing them to make 35.2. That's a problem. And while it might just be 19th, it is at a high volume at 19th in the league. And it should be a little higher than 35.2, but it dropped pretty significantly. I'm pretty sure I bet you it did. After that Lakers game, the Lakers are just a really bad three-point shooting team. LeBron's said it himself. So the three-point defense needs to improve. The three-point shooting needs to improve. What else needs to improve? Well, that leads me into my last point. The third quarter Wolves. This season, the Wolves are giving up 32 points per game in the third quarter. The only team that's been worse than them is the Brooklyn Nets. Their offensive rating in that quarter is 96.1 and their defensive rating of 121.9. That's a net rating of minus 25.8, which is dead last, and they're not. there's not even a team near them. The Timberwolves have a lot of work to do. I am not concerned about their luck long-term, but it is frustrating, especially when they did start out the season playing against easier teams. Now, granted, the Utah Jazz have played really well. I'm recording this on Wednesday night, so I'm not sure if the Utah Jazz pulled off another win. I'm just checking. They did not, but they lost by three points to the Dallas Mavericks, and the Dallas Mavericks are a good team. The Spurs have looked good. They just got killed tonight by the Raptors. But the point still stands that they're playing well. Come March, come April, that might not be the case. They might not be where they are, and they probably will not be. But right now, they're playing good basketball. Greg Popovich is not tanking. These players are not tanking. It's the front office that will do their best to make sure they lose games. And right now in October, that's not happening. These players are playing for another contract. And you cannot go out there and play sloppy. You cannot go out there and just roll over and expect to win the game because you have more talent. These other guys are kicking your ass. They're playing harder. They want it more than you. And it's as simple as that. The Timberwolves do not want it, and they look terrible out there. Their body language looks bad. The only player's body language that really looks good is Austin Rivers, who's on the bench getting up every single time, cheering for his player, and... Kudos to him because he's not getting minutes, but he's still out there giving more effort every single night. And that's all I have to say about that. Moving on. The Minnesota Vikings, the NFL trade deadline. Let's talk about the trade. It was a great trade. 
if you didn't see it, the Vikings got TJ Hawkinson, a 2023 fourth round pick, and a 2024 conditional fourth round pick. Detroit then gets the 2023 second and a 2024 fourth. I have no idea why the Detroit Lions gave us their best player in offense and then said, hey, here is two more picks on top of it. Like what? Why would you give us two picks back? It doesn't make any sense to me, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. You could say you can make the case that they didn't want to pay him, and that's fine. But you traded him within the division to watch him play you twice. And if your thing was about not paying him, you have to pay someone eventually to be good. And the Detroit Lions continue to get like to the point where like, well, we're not going to pay him. Let's trade him for more assets and let's rebuild through that way. I got to break it to you. You guys have been doing this for a long time. It's time to stop doing this. Or, I mean, you can if you want. It has no effect on me. It's going to be, it's fun for us to win. But two picks and TJ Hawkinson for a second and a fourth. Now, mind you, these Detroit picks are going to be early fourth. It's going to be an early fourth rounder. So you could argue that it's going to be a late third. Whereas the Minnesota picks, they're giving them a second and a fourth. But if they're good, that's going to be a late second, a late fourth. So in, in turn, it's almost like the Vikings got two late third round picks. No, sorry. Yeah, actually two late third round picks. And the Detroit Lions got two, got an early third. It If you, you get what I'm trying to say, like an early third and an early fourth. And we got two or late thirds. But again, it's a conditional pick, so that can change based off if Minnesota wins a playoff game. I believe that's what it is. But Hawkinson is one of the better tight ends in the league, and he has shades of being like a wide receiver type. He's not Travis Kelsey. He's not George Kittle. But I do believe he has top five potential. And he had a really good sophomore year. He was a pro bowler. Matthew Stafford was his quarterback. He has not been as good. He has like 356 yards or something like that right now. But these last two years, he's been, has had Jared Goff as his quarterback. And Jared Goff is a fine quarterback, but Kirk Cousins is a better QB. And I don't even think that's even up for debate. So Kirk Cousins does, I, I do believe that Kirk Cousins thrives a lot with a tight end. And especially with these check down throws that he likes to do sometimes, TJ Hawkinson will be a, a great bailout. Plus, not only will TJ adding TJ Hawkinson just improve the offense because he is a great weapon to have alongside with Irv Smith Jr. I mean, not Irv Smith, sorry. The move, the reason they didn't make this move also is because Irv Smith Jr. is going to be out eight to 10 weeks and he likely will not get him, be getting resigned. This move only also helps Justin Jefferson because when TJ Hawkinson is getting guarded, that opens up the door for Justin Jefferson to succeed. And if Justin Jefferson is getting doubled, that means Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson are going to be getting more opportunities. I kind of broke it down. I kind of talked a lot more in depth about it on at Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. You can read it there. I did give the grade. I, I do grade it as an A. I thought it was a great trade. We'll see what happens. I'm excited to watch him play against the Washington Commanders. Let's just do a quick recap of the Cardinals game. I thought the Vikings looked really good, and it felt like the first game they really controlled things. Arizona may have put up thirty, uh, may have put up twenty six points, 
but it felt like a really weak 26. Like their 26 just felt like a lot of effort to get there. And Minnesota gave them a lot of opportunities. And again, they need to clean that up. They need to improve. There's still a lot of work to be done defensively, but it's starting to look more and more like a good defense. And it's a good thing because this 3-4 defense I was excited about and it's starting to come through and it's it's starting to look good. And a huge reason for that is Patrick Peterson, who has been incredible these last two weeks. And of course, Zadarius Smith, who we'll get to later in our last segment. The Vikings did actually a really good job of containing Kyler Murray, which is a great first step, especially because this Vikings team has just struggled to contain mobile quarterbacks. Like you saw Justin Fields, you saw Jalen Hurts, you've seen other quarterbacks get out of the pocket and have success because this Vikings team has just had a a really difficult time containing them. He did have 36 rushing yards and 326 yards, but he also had two interceptions. And while 326 yards looks like a ton and it is, I'm not like he he played. I don't think he played well, but 326 yards is a lot of as a lot of passing yards. But he did that in 44 attempts, 44 attempts. That is a lot of pass attempts to get to 326. And DeAndre Hopkins was incredible, which he should be. He's one of the best wide receivers in the game. The run game looks better. It's starting to pick up steam. Dalvin Cook did not play well against the Miami Dolphins. He did have that really big run. But that run, since that run, he's starting to kind of pick it up again. He's really good against the Cardinals. He was really their best offensive player, I thought. So hopefully that continues moving forward. Because if they get the run game going, that in turn opens up things for Kirk Cousins in the play action. It helps Justin Jefferson. It helps TJ Hawkinson. It helps Adam Thielen. It helps everyone on offense. Ed Ingram. Boy, is he bad. Like, man. It's just really... It's just really frustrating to watch. Like, I don't, I really don't know how to describe it really because it's really frustrating to watch. Like he gave up two sacks, six pressures, and he had a penalty. And again, he's playing against JJ Watt, who is a great player, Hall of Fame, one of the best to ever step on the field. Ed Ingram just got destroyed by him. Now he's a good run blocker, but he's terrible in past situations. And I don't really know what to do. The trade deadline has passed, so your only other option you're given is to really just start Chris Reed. But what does that really solve? And long term, you might as well just stick with Ingram because he's not really giving up penalties. So that is one thing to be okay with that. Hopefully, this is just some of the growing pains of a rookie. Like, we do have to remember that he is a rookie. Like, I am very excited about Ed Ingram's potential. I hope he pans out. I really do. But it is frustrating to watch. Let's just preview the game. The upcoming game against the Washington Commanders. The Vikings will be on the road. And the Washington Commanders rank 13th in passing yards allowed. They're giving up 334.4. It's a a good... They're giving up a lot of passing yards but they do rank 13th. However, they only have two interceptions all year. So 
there's not really a concern for Kirk Cousins throwing interceptions. They did just trade their cornerback, William Jackson. So that should help Minnesota. They are going to be starting, you know, Ben St. I, I don't know. I'm not a Gophers alum. I'm a Maverick. Ben St. Juicy, just, just, he's a Gophers alum. So if you're a Gophers fan, maybe you can just, just tell me how to pronounce it. They will be also starting Kendall Fuller. And they also do have Cameron Curl, who is the safety that ranks number one on PFF. He's been good in both pass and run defense. So Kirk Cousins should have a good game. The Washington secondary is good, decent, but I'm more afraid of the run. They do, the Washington Commanders rank 18th and stop in the run, but they only are, they're allowing 120.4 game, 120.4 yards per game. And a large part of that is Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen on the left side, who are going to be a problem for Minnesota. However, Darisaw and Cleveland have been solid this year, especially Darisaw, who's been really good. So maybe this isn't going to be a problem. They do have 21 sacks on the year. The Washington Commanders, not those two players. The Commanders have 21 sacks on the year, which is one of the better teams in the NFL. Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen, again, will be going up against Darisaw and Cleveland. Cleveland is a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. So maybe that is cause for concern. But again, I would lean on Kirk Cousins to deliver. He has the weapons. I don't know if for sure if Hawkinson will be playing, but I would bet a good chunk of money that he will be. How much he's involved, I don't know. He's still learning. He's going to be learning the offense this week. But we'll see. I'm really excited to watch him play. Offensively for the Commanders, it's actually not as bad as you would think it would be. They are, I believe they're 4-4. Four and four. I'd have to double check. But I'm 99% sure they're 4-4. Four and four. Taylor Heineke will be the starter, which is bad for Minnesota because Carson Wentz is a worse player. And Taylor Heineke is a player who takes a lot of risks. But that in turn can mean that the Minnesota Vikings can take advantage of that. If your if your quarterback is constantly taking risks, that means there's also a good chance that it will not work. There's a reason it's called risk. So we'll see about that. In the first game that he played this year, he had 201 yards, two TDs, one interception, 13 incomplete passes. Last game against the Indianapolis Colts, he had eight incompletions. 279 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. The way he plays, and I'm pretty sure last year, he had mostly touched, he had a couple more touchdowns than he had interceptions, so I'd almost bet that the the Vikings get an interception this week, if not two. The Minnesota Vikings just have to take advantage of those mistakes. He's still a very careless player, but he is very fun to watch, and it's going to be, it'll be entertaining to watch how he plays. And he has weapons. Terry McLaurin is a really good wide receiver. One of the better wide receivers in the NFL. Very underrated. An Ohio State player. Go Bucks. He is fast. 553 yards on the season. Two touchdowns. And he gets a lot of his... He gets a lot of work. And he's very active on the long balls. So that might be an issue 
for the Vikings. But again, they do a really good job of covering the long ball. So that should maybe be not something we look at. Their other weapon is Curtis Samuel, another Buckeye. He will be their weapon in rushing and receiving, kind of like a Debo Samuel in some sense, but not to the same extent as obviously Debo Samuel because Debo is one of the better weapons in the entire NFL. But they will be using him in a lot of those situations. So the Vikings will have to be kind of on their toes, especially with the other weapons, like I said, with McLaurin and Taylor Heineke, who can do it kind of, he can, he can run the ball if he wants to, but he will be kind of taking a lot of chances. He's very exciting. The other part of it is their other rookie, Dotson, who is really good. He's shown flashes, but he hasn't practiced this week. He has a hamstring issue, so we'll see how that progresses. But hopefully he decides he needs one more week to kind of get ready. So the Vikings don't have to worry about three kind of electric offensive weapons. And that's not even that's not even going into consideration about their running back situation. They split duties between Antonio Gibson and James Robinson Jr. Both solid running backs, but nothing like super special. If I had to say, though, James Robinson Jr. is the better option. He's the rookie. He is kind of fun to watch. So if Minnesota was kind of betting on like which player they would rather see, I would say it's Gibson, but that hasn't necessarily been the case. Robinson Jr. has been taking the bulk of the carries for the most part, but it is still your kind of in quotation marks, like your split, there's splitting duties. Now, if I had to make a prediction, I would say that the Vikings win this game 31 24. I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think this is going to be a blowout just because I do like the Washington Commanders offense. I think it's kind of explosive and it will be really interesting. They only beat the Colts by, I believe, one point, and the Colts are a pretty bad team. So we'll see how that goes with the Vikings, who are starting to come into their own now. Six and one heading into week nine. It's exciting. I'm really pumped to see how they look with the new offense with TJ Hawkinson. I don't know. I, I'm really am for this. I don't know if I've been any more excited for a Vikings game in a long time. So this is going to be pretty fun to watch. Send me a tweet at Let's Talk Vikes, your prediction for the game and what you're most excited about, about watching the game, whether it's TJ Hawkinson, Justin Jefferson, or maybe how this Vikings defense builds off of these last two weeks. Let me know. Let's close things off talking about the Minnesota Twins. If you haven't checked out already, go check out my last couple podcasts. I've been doing a player position review and kind of the outlook of the 2023 season. I've already done the outfield and the infield. And actually, I've done the catcher. I did the catchers too. This week, the fourth time on the podcast, we'll be talking about the starting pitching and kind of what we can expect next year. Again, these are meant to be just a quick review of the player season and what's to come. The trickier situations we'll dive in later this offseason. Let's get the first two out of the way. Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy. Both, honestly, I had zero really expectations for Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer. Bundy played actually... I thought Bundy was the better pitcher, and I don't think it's close. Bundy gave the the Twins some good outings, but for if the twin the Twins really the Twins spent two million like on the two million on two players they spent less than ten million 
to go out there and essentially eat innings and hopefully turn back the clock. And while they didn't do it in the best ways, they did get value for what they paid for. And obviously what they pay for is not great value. But again, if you want to spend money, you are going to get a better player. And that's just not the case for the Twins here. They did not spend money to get a good player. uh, Chris Archer has a mutual option for 2023. The mutual option is for $10 million. There's a 0% chance the Twins are bringing him back. I'm sure he would love to be back for $10 million, but it has to be a mutual agreement, and they rarely happen in the major leagues. Moving on to Dylan Buddy, club option for $11 million. Again, zero chance the Twins pick up that $11 million option. So, as much as... Not even as much. I was going to say as much as it was nice to see them pitch, because it wasn't... I thought, I mean, obviously Dylan Bundy gave you some. Chris Archer is a great guy, gave really good in- interviews, and I think he's going to be a either a really good analyst for TV someday or he's going to be a good manager. Let's move on to some of the more difficult ones. Not even really more difficult. It's kind of easy to outline the Twins starting lineup. I mean, not starting lineup. The Twins starting pitching. Sonny Gray, good season. He dealt with leg injuries, though, all year. He's clearly a number three or a decent number two. I don't think he's a clear-cut number two starter. He has his moments where obviously he's going to be either really good or really bad. Eight and five on the year, 3.08 year array. The thing that separates him from being really good to just good is the amount of times he gets through the order and how good he and how well he does it. First time through the order, 1.81 ERA. Second time, 3.23. And a third time, 6.62. So I'm not a huge, I'm not the biggest Rocco person, but for all you people that tweet constantly to fire Rocco for taking out Sonny Gray too early and Sonny Gray is unhappy because he's getting taken out early, that is why. Zero reason to keep Sonny Gray out there, 6.62 ERA a third time through. I have to double check. I don't know if I, the last time I looked at it was like 17 innings that third time through. So he has given, he's been given the opportunity. He just has not succeeded when given that. He has a club option for 12.7 million. So it's almost a guarantee they bring him back. They'd be stupid not to, especially after trading their first round pick, uh, Chase Petty to the Cincinnati Reds. Let's move on to Kenta Maeda. He missed all of 2022. He's in the final year of his deal, making 3 million this year. It's probably going to be a bullpen guy. It's hard to rely on a 35-year-old. He's 34 right now, but he will be 35 to start the season, who's also coming off Tommy John's surgery. A lot of people want to see him in the starting lineup, and I get it. He showed a lot when he was with the Twins pitching. Cy Young Award candidate. But again, 35 years old, coming off Tommy John's surgery. How much can we really rely on him to be a starting pitcher? And don't like, don't forget that Kenta Maeda did really well for the Dodgers in the bullpen a couple years ago for the playoffs. Like to me, when I see people putting in Kenta Maeda to be a starter next year, it's kind of foolish to me because I see zero reason and zero chance that it actually happens. The twins have multiple starting pitching options who we'll get to, and hopefully they do sign a guy this off season. Moving on Tyler Malley. They did not really get much help from him. I think he only, yeah, I have right here. He only pitched in four games, 
He looked fine. Uh, obviously, when he was healthy, healthier, he looked really good. The velocity was down. He was dealing with a shoulder problem. I think he'll, I mean, obviously, you can't say no, he, or he, like, he will. Hopefully, we don't run into so many issues next year. The Twins fired their training staff guys, Salazar, so hopefully that improves stuff from listening to Darren Wilson talk on the Scoop podcast. He basically said that Tyler Malley was dealing with shoulder problems, but Salazar didn't have him do any shoulder strengthening workouts. Like, why would you not have him do that? It makes no sense. He basically said that if you, he basically said that the guy they hired from the Oakland Athletics, I don't know the name, I'd have to look it up. But he basically said that they could have hired literally anyone to do the training thing and they would be better. So that says a lot about Salazar and the job he did. But hopefully that improves things next year. He is arbitration eligible for like $6 million or so. Uh, he would be the Twins' probably number one starter. He would be their opening day guy if they don't go out and get like a Carlos Rodon. So hopefully he's healthier next year. But let's talk about another guy who faced injury problems, Bailey Ober. He's arbitration eligible until 2027. By then, he'll be 31. I do like Bailey Ober. I do. Long term, I do not know if he's a starter. I think he's done a decent job pitching. Nothing spectacular, but he does a good job when he does pitch. The problem is he's always hurt. He pitched in 11 games this year. Literally just disappeared for like the entire season. There's one point where I didn't even know if he existed anymore because I heard zero nada on him. He had hit problems in his rookie year as well. Like this is a guy who's been facing a lot of injuries since entering the league. And that's kind of problematic. And for a guy who's already facing a lot of injuries, who doesn't have anything spectacular when pitching, I think that he would be a great option in the bullpen. I don't know if he's a starter. I hope I'm wrong, but if he is a starter, you're talking about a fourth or fifth guy. And that's fine if he is your fourth or fifth guy and he stays healthy and he gives you good innings. But if he's not, I think it's time to move him to the bullpen something a little less strenuous on his body. This will be quick. Chris Paddock, don't expect to see him next year. If you do, it'll be like in September or something. They're taking this process really slow, and I get it. Two Tommy John surgeries, maybe this is the path to take. I don't know. It's a little weird to me, but let's just move on. Joe Ryan, incredible rookie year, 13-8, and 3.55 ERA. The last time a Twins rookie had 10 or more wins, if you can guess, I'll give you like a three seconds here to guess this. I tweeted out earlier this year. Time's up. It was Scott Diamond in 2012. Joe Ryan, a lot of his success came against the division, and maybe that a lot of that success was because the division is not good. I don't know. But when he did play good teams, when he he kind of just jumped all over them, his stuff is good, but it's not great. And if he's if he's pitching for like the Houston Astros, the New York Yankees, the Dodgers, he'd probably be a four or five. He's not a three. He's not a two like the Twins have kind of forced him to be. And moving him down the line, down the starting rotation, 
would help him again rookie year so the twins are going to be having him under contract for a long time which is great because joe ryan will have an actually i really think that joe ryan will have a good career whether that is as a fourth fifth or even third starter louis varland hopefully we see him next year i bet one we do he has good stuff he had a good rookie year not even you can't even call it a year because there's a couple outings and it won't even count if he pitched next year then if he pitched next year and was a full-time starter in the rotation, that would be his rookie season, not last year. So hopefully we see a little more of him, but it's likely he starts a year in St. Paul. Same with Simeon Woods-Richardson. I like the stuff, but again, he's going to be starting in St. Paul most likely because if you just look at it, it could be Tyler Malley, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, and maybe you throw Josh Winder, who we're going to talk to talk about here in a second. And hopefully they go out and get a guy because if you go and get like a Carlos Rodon, you're talking about Carlos Rodon, Tyler Malley, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober. That's a pretty good starting rotation. That's That's where things start taking off. Let's just talk about Josh Winder here. I believe he's a bullpen guy as well. I liked what he did starting. He's got good velocity for a guy like for not even like not even a guy. He's he's got some good stuff, but it's not just fully there yet. He kind of got beaten up a bit. And again, he was a rookie, so you can't really be like, well, he got beaten up. He's not going to improve. He is what he is. He will improve. He will hopefully develop into some other stuff but he was injured a lot and he has dealt with the shoulder problem he dealt with it in St. Paul before like he got in 2021 all the years are starting to blend together during this pandemic type years of 2020 2021 etc Josh Winder has continued to deal with shoulder problems and he did last year as well it's concerning to me would moving him to the bullpen help him out with his health it could be like a Bailey over thing where I just talked about where moving him to the bullpen would be good. The Twins don't really have a middle relief option, and Josh Winder would be their guy there. I don't know. We'll see long-term. I do like Josh Winder. I hope he pans out, but I think he's a bullpen guy like Bailey Ober. Again, let's end things talking about MVP, rough week, and underrated of the week. This is my new segment I've been doing. If you follow me on Twitter, after each game, I post the MVP rough game and underrated and we're kind of doing this in the podcast now so for mvp i have zadarius smith who was incredible he's been in he's been insane this year you can even make i think he is and i don't even think you make the case i think he is he was probably the best offseason signing in the entire nfl what more can you say he leads the nfl in sacks and tackles for a loss he's been like their heart and soul almost on defense you have eric kendricks you have daniel hunter you have harrison smith but something's been different with zadarius smith and again it's a three four so that helps him but like he's just a different player on the field he's electric he gets after guys if the plays on the other side of the field he will chase them down and tackle them zadarius smith has been awesome 
rough week. If you can guess, it's pretty easy to guess. We're giving it to D'Angelo Russell. I think it's time to move on from him. But the problem is, if you trade him, what can you really give up to a team? Like, if you're trading a... If you're trading something bad, why would another team look at him and say, hey, we'll take him off your hands and then give you something good? If you're trading something bad, you're going to get something bad in return. However, change of sceneries can help a team, can help a player. So who knows? But uh, D'Angelo Russell has been really bad. Like, really bad. In the last four games, 12 points, 5 of 10 shooting. So good job. He had nine assists, but he had four turnovers in that San Antonio game against the Lakers. 11 points, four of 15 shooting, seven assists, four boards. He did have six steals and one block. Fine, but the efficiency was pretty piss poor. Then you got the San Antonio game where he had 10 points, five of 17 shooting, four assists, five boards. And then, of course, against the Phoenix Suns. Five points, two of eight shooting, four boards, four assists, four turnovers. I'm a big Ohio State fan. D'Angelo Russell obviously was an Ohio State player. And for me, I've been high on him. But it's over, man. Like, if your greatest asset is pick and roll and you can't even do pick and roll, it's time to move on. And maybe this is really premature because it's eight games in the season. He, everyone still needs time. Everyone has not looked that good. But D'Angelo Russell has been bad. There was a play against the Phoenix Suns. I don't know if you saw it. Where D'Angelo Russell threw it away. Turnover. Doesn't hustle after the ball. And then as he's jogging down the court, Nas Reed points up and says, Rotate to cover Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson gets a wide open three because because guess what? D'Angelo Russell did not show any effort and effort on defense. And that's pretty much the story of how this week has gone for him. Underrated of the week, DJ Wanham. He continues to impress each week. He's kind of outplaying Daniel Hunter. And maybe Daniel Hunter obviously is doing other stuff with he's getting more of the pressure and he's playing he's going up against the better tackles. But DJ Wanham has been really good this year. He was great against the Arizona Cardinals. He had four pressures. He just deserves more credit for what he's done this year. He's flown under the radar. And again, a lot of that has to do with some of the bigger names on defense, like Jordan Hicks, Kendricks, Zadarius Smith, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, etc. But DJ Wanham, he's a stud, man. He is just a stud. But anyways... That wraps up our 31st episode. Be sure to follow Let's Talk Minnesota Sports on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow my accounts on Twitter at Let's Talk Twins, Let's Talk Wolves, Let's Talk Vikes, and Let's Talk Wild. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.